your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 11. We actually have two passages, Matthew and Proverbs, but uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30. And this is what it says. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, The next passage comes from Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now Pastor Susan will come and give us the word. Sarah, I was thinking, she's really quite eloquent, isn't she? She's actually quite articulate, especially for an 18-year-old girl. (laughs) Um, I missed you. I actually genuinely missed you when I was away. Um, I'm not just saying that. I I, I don't just say things to be nice because I'm I'm not that nice. But... um, so I actually genuinely missed you. It was good. It's I, I like you know. I was great to see the those our brothers and sisters in Bishop, and it's good to see that they miss us. That they they were really happy to see us and to worship with them. But it's good to be home. Um, you know, we're looking at this passage today. We're in part five of our series on freedom. And if we if it hasn't hopefully isn't a, if this is already obvious to you freedom. And the way the Bible talks about it is not something that you grasp on the outside. It's actually a special quality of something in your inner person. It has something to do with who you are and the power of something inside of you. And today I want to talk about a very important issue, the issue of control. And before I get that, let me, um, let me pray and we'll, we'll uh, get into this message. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are a blind and tired Exhausted people. Sarah talked about how she was tired, so tired of running her life. And so, so many of us that could be said for. And unfortunately, even after we come to know you, Lord, and we become Christians, we so easily forget. And we still, under this illusion, this delusion that we are in control of our lives, Lord God. And I pray that we would learn what it means to have the true freedom of your Lordship. True freedom that you are our master and that you would place your yoke upon us. Pray that your grace would be upon my lips and upon our ears. To all who hear this, may they taste of what it means to have freedom in Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you with a question. Today we're talking about the question of control. How much do you control your life? Are you in control of your life? Hmm, these are the questions I'd like to raise today. Let me do it by asking you of a, of, a little bit, of a little bit different way. Do you have a life script? Do you have a script for your life? 
I, I like to read all these strange magazines and, um, and, and keep up with all these different things, that uh, the conversations that's happening in our time. And the sociologists today say that one of the things that's missing in, or that's, that's, that's a, a problem in today is the way we script our lives. They think that our life script, there's something wrong with our life script. Do you have a script? And you guys know what a script is. If you ever go to a play or a movie, the script is the story as it's written out. People have all their lines and this actor is supposed to do this and this character is supposed to do this. And it tells you how the story is supposed to unfurl. But do you have a life script? And I am willing to bet that you do. Now in our culture today, the script is getting more and more elaborate and it's often getting very detailed for certain people. And it often looks probably something, I'll give you one version, a very common version of a, a, of a life script, and it may go something like this. You're born, hopefully to nice parents, and you're healthy, and they stay together, and your family has some kind of happy family life. You go to school, you do pretty well in school. Hopefully you, Sarah did pretty, I thought it was funny when she said that she's, she's average and she, and she described herself as a B plus, A minus, A student. I said, that's not average. I was like, she said, I'm average. I'm like, that's not average. I was like, what kind of average are you talking about here, right? Uh, it's well above average. But um, in her mind, maybe she thinks it's average in this, some, some kind of normal, although in, in the actual reality, it's for, well above average. But you do well in school. And after you go to school, at least within our circles, especially in Asian communities, the next script is you have to go to college. You at least have, definitely have to finish high school and you've got to go to college. And the next script is the college has to be at least well enough. For those of you who are stringent, that standard is very high. Some very famous hotshot school. And, and for some of you, you're like, oh, it doesn't have to be that high. I mean, Sarah's was fairly high. It was a UC, right? as she gave in her testimony today. But you have a level of school. You've got to get into a certain school. So you're already up to age 18. And then you go off to school. And hopefully you study something that you like. And it, it gives you flutters. Sometimes you study something. But somewhere along that, you gain a certain knowledge. You gain a degree. And it gives you some qualifications for the next period of your life. After that, you get a job. And it's interesting, in our society, I mean, this isn't the way every life script in other cultures have been. In our society, there's a lot of schools. Some of you may not, some of you may not be going for a school right after college. Some of you are into, like, I've got to go to grad school or professional school, law school or MBA or other such. So that, that period may go on longer. But in our culture, the script tends to be after college, now you have to start on this thing that we call career and career is supposed to offer you a few things. One, hopefully, it's supposed to give you some satisfaction with what you do with 40 to 60, hopefully not more than 60, some people more than 60, right? Hours of your week. Right? And it's supposed to make give you, as you do better and better on this, that's why we call it a career. It's not just a job, right? We call it a career, not a job, which means it has meaning to it. And it's supposed to give you a name and some sense of like, I am somebody. So a career does this. And so that's the next point of the script. You know, you're a kid, you learn something, then you get a degree, now you have a career, and you're starting to be shaped into somebody. And do you notice, by the way, I'll just, just make a comment about the script. 
The career is very important to a lot of people because this is how we think we're going to find out who we are. You know, in America, in other countries, when they ask you, who are you, you know what, they, what you say? You say something about your father or about your, tr- your tribe or your clan or where you're from. And so who you are has to do with where you're from and who you're related to. But in America, when they ask, who are you, you know what we say? We say what you do. Or, we, or immediately we ask, that's the first thing you ask, hey, what's your name and what do you do? And imagine if you, if you don't spend your 20s trying to define that, you won't know how to answer that question. So that's part of the script. You're in the 20s. And then the next part of the script, that's the next part of the movie, so to speak, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to fall in love. You meet somebody, and hopefully they're very pretty or handsome. And also they have a worthy script. They're following the script like you. I mean... They're not just some loser who has nothing to do in their 20s. And they came out with a pretty good school, right? And they're good-looking enough. Hopefully they're very good-looking, right? And they fall in love with you. And you fall in love with them. And some of you, you have an age. And then you get married. And some of you have an age. It has to be by 30, maybe. 30, that's a common one, right? For a lot of women, it's like, oh, 30... Guys, maybe the guys are like, oh, 30 is a little too early. They'll push that age a little higher. But there's an age. And there are actually some people, they're very specific. They're, they're, you ever, I remember watching some movie, and, and the woman, the heroine of the movie, she had to be married by 28. 28. To some guy who, and she even knew how tall he was and what hair color he, he had. And then she said, and then the next part of the script, which is what? Kids. And then you have kids. It's about two, sometimes three. Maybe some of you want to play a little bit longer, four years after you're married. You have kids. Some of you maybe two. Maybe three. Right? Some of you maybe it's three. We had a, a friend of ours over from dinner that we hadn't seen in many years. And he has three kids. He has three girls. And he was looking at our three kids. And, um, we, and he hadn't seen, I think the last time we saw him, Hudson was very little and Laura was a baby, right? So he hadn't seen us in many years. And he goes, hey, you know what, Susan? I think three is the new two. It's like everybody I know is interested in having three. And I'm looking at him like, what are you smoking, man? Like, not that many people are interested than I know are interested in having three. There's Two is still the same old two, right? So that's the next part of the script. Then what's the next part of the script? You parent them well. And they're healthy. And then they go to the right schools and they play piano <laughs> or violin or guitar or whatever it is. Or they star in sports. For In my house, it's baseball, right? My girls, they, it's okay. They don't have to do sports, all right? But, but we're going to get them into sports. And then they grow older. And they don't hate you. <laughs> and they have a nice life and you teach them the script. You grow old together. You celebrate the graduations and the birthdays and anniversaries. Hopefully many, many, many anniversaries. You grow old and happy. And you have this picture, the script of you and your spouse as this crinkly old lovey-dovey couple. I mean, who wants to be those couples that don't still hold hands when they're old and, you know, honey, right? And then you are in your bed 
all your family, your grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren, and they're around you, and you say bye, and you die peacefully, not with like tubes tied into your body or like wasting away from cancer or something, but you die peacefully, and you had a good life. That's That's the script, right? Now let me ask you, um, how much are you in control of this, making this happen? Isn't this something like your script? Most of you, isn't this your script? I mean, like, maybe some, I mean, there might be an odd person, probably not in this room, I'm guessing, and probably not in this church. There's some people who have a little bit of a different script. Their script is like, the script I gave you is the, the typical middle-class, respectable, bourgeois script. Right? Um, Some people have a script like, I'm going to be 25 years old and I'm going to write a song and the world's going to love this song and it's going to be a bestseller and then I'm going to stand in front of, you know, thousands of people week in and week out giving concerts and I'm going to be a rock star. Some other people will say, I'm going to write these books and this article and I'm going to win the Pulitzer Prize. Some other people will go, I'm going to be a great scholar and one day, I'm gonna, my, my name is going to be in these great magazines and people are going to interview me as somebody great. You know, this is a little bit more of a slightly bohemian dream. But maybe that's it. You, you don't care as much about the marriage and the kids and all these other things. Or at least they're secondary. But there's a script. There's a script, isn't there? And how much are you in control of this thing? Hmm. Let me ask you some questions. What if you're not married by the time you're 30 or 35 or 40? What if you are married? Is you married the person you wanted? I mean, this person was really pretty and you can't believe this person actually dated you and you actually married this person. But three years later, this person is not loving you and you are not even sure you love this person. What if that happens? Hmm? What if some people in the government and in very powerful industries do something very stupid with the laws and the rules and a terrible recession occurs? You're in a company, your job and your career is chopping along nicely. You're looking forward to to promotion and making some decent money. You're saving up. You're going to buy a nice house. And then your company goes kaplooey. Your job goes out the window. And you can't find another job for a year, a year and a half. And you start thinking, man, i, I got to get any kind of job. It has nothing to do with what you studied. It has nothing to do with what you trained for. And your career is derailed. Hmm? What if that happens? Let me ask you some harder ones. You know, there's uh, some of us are into the, the control. We think we're going to control this successful life, and it goes to our kids, too. You know, that's the one I see these days a lot, especially among parents. And my wife and I are at that, at that stage, and so we meet a lot of parents. And uh, they are very, they show up. I mean, they're good parents. They show up at the, all, the, all the conferences, and they are doing all the activities, the tutoring and the and the ballet and the and the and, and the sports and they show up and they're good parents and they're doing all these things because they're doing all the to, to give their kids their best life. But what happens? What if 
your child gets into their teenage years, and then they have some kind of terrible disease, and all of the, the script just goes out the window. What if you have a child and your child has some kind of, of, of a disablement, a developmental issue? What if you're 35 or 40 years old and your mother gets cancer? And for three, four years of your life, this just takes up all your energy and all your time. What if these things start to happen? Can these things happen? So one more. What if, what if, um, and what if you're driving today? It's not even your fault. You're a good driver. Everybody thinks they're above average drivers, but they're not. Okay, you're a really good driver. You haven't had an accident in years, and it certainly wasn't your fault the last accident you had. But some person comes swerving over. You know, they're on their text, and their car just over, and boom, you have a serious car accident. Let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you were in a car and you weren't even driving? You were just a passenger and you had a close one. Like this, and you were like, whoa, that was close. And your heart beat. You know, you, you felt that instant surge of adrenaline and, and stress because you knew that if it weren't for that split little second, something very serious could have occurred. That you might have died or at least become very seriously injured. When was the last time that hurt, happened? Six months ago? A year ago, too? I mean, it's very... This happens pretty often, doesn't it? I think this has happened to me within the last year. And what if that accident was so terrible enough that you were disabled physically and debilitated for the rest of your life? It just really changed all your physical abilities. That could happen. Now, why am I saying all these things to you? Because we have plans, and that's what this message is about. It's plans. It's plans. It's what we think. It's how we think we're in control. But most of us, you know, we, you know, we're so, and some of you are very worried oriented, and some of you are very, you have the plans out. Some of you are people who plan out every hour of every day, and some of you are like, I've got my plan for six months, for two years, five, ten, and you've got your life worked out. And you are doing everything that's under your control. You are doing everything to make your life work. The script has to play out. But did you notice all these questions I asked you? What if this happened? What if this happened? What if, could any of those things happen to you? A lot of those things could happen to you. And some of them, do you notice, aren't even your fault. You have no handle or control of whether this happens to you. You could be a perfectly great driver. You have no control if your child has autism. You have no control if your father has a heart attack. You don't have control over these kinds of things. Now, when we think about our life, we typically think roughly there are kind of two camps. There are two people or there's two forces that can make my life turn out well. Number one is one we all know, me. (laughs) I. If I do everything well, smart, right, disciplined, habits, all that stuff, and I make the good decisions, it will come out good. So it's me. That's number one. But there's another camp that, there's another force that's supposed to be in there to make your life script pan out. And you know who that that person is? God. (laughs) 
God is supposed to be in there. And that's why we think it's kind of a deal. I do everything right. God is the other end of the partnership. And hopefully he will help the script work out. But you know, it's kind of funny. This God is not very... God isn't very cooperative, is he? <laughs> so many people who aren't married by the time they were, they're, they're, they're supposed to be married, they didn't marry the person that they wanted to marry. This person wasn't as pretty as they thought it was going to be, or their kids aren't as cooperative as they thought they were going to be. They're not as healthy as they thought they were going to be. Their job is not as working out. They're not as rich as they want to be. I mean, lots of things. This God, I mean, it's, isn't this normal that God is not cooperative? He's not very nice, is he? But let, let me back up a little bit. Let's, let's talk, what if it's not God? Okay, let's, let's, let's think secularly. And do you notice that the script that I, planned, I, I just laid out for you, that so many of us, it's in our mind, even if you don't literally write it down, the script is in your mind. It's shaping your plans. And you think that you have a certain control over your life. But let's just think right now, one, notice that God doesn't, is, is nowhere in that plan. I mean, God is kind of irrelevant. He's a sideline player at best. You go to church because hopefully it's, it helps part of the plan. But the person of very God himself, it's like, well, if he's not there, it's not that big a deal. But let's think kind of secularly for a moment here as, a, as our culture likes to think. Let's take God out of it. Who knows if there's a God? Maybe he's irrelevant. So now if your life script is supposed to work out, there's still two camps. There's you and what's the other one? Luck. Luck. Or the Greek, the, the ancient Greeks, they called it fortune. Or sometimes they called it fate. But this is universal. Every culture knows you. And it doesn't matter. Like every culture, every, this is why they're very, people are very, sometimes they're superstitious as they go to the gods. A lot of cultures think religion is the way to appease the gods, the forces, karma. Because we know that your life is not just under your control. That there's this other force out there. In the secular mind, we call it luck. And now let me just ask you this little question. You, on your life, on your end of your life, what you get to do, you could do everything perfect. Do you realize that? You could comb your hair perfectly. You can go to the right places to meet the right hot people. <laughs> you could... Practice your diction, and our society is great. You know, like how to, you know, the seven habits of highly successful people. That's a super bestseller in, this, in, in, in our culture. Our culture is very interested in controlling what we can control. You can do everything perfectly, but think of how many other factors out there where your luck will go bad. Think about this. I'm kind of a math guy. I mean, I'm like, I like to think about this from a math perspective. Let's say there's 100 people. 100 people. They're all going to get into the college of their choice? No, or at least a college that's good enough. Okay, you already chopped out 30% of the population. By the age of 18, oops, luck is already drained 30% out. You're chopped out. All right, they marry who they want to marry, when they want to marry. Oops, that didn't happen for another 20%. Now you're already down to 50%. The kid isn't healthy, or the kid is rebellious, or the kid ended up on drugs. He was perfect. Superstar baseball player, loved his daddy. <laughs> At 14, hung out with the wrong kid, boom, he's a total drug addict, and he's a total loser destroying his daddy. Oh, there's another, there's another 10, 15% of the population. We're down to like 40, 35. Mom gets cancer. Recession hits. Now we're down to 20. <laughs> 
I mean, it's just the numbers just keep going. How many percentage of the people are going to get their script play out? It's a very small percentage. That's just normal luck. Do you realize on your side of it, there's a lot of control. But over here, it's like dice. Let's just say there's no God. It's like dice. But your life is not like just rolling one die, one out of six. It's more like let's roll ten dice and they all have to come up sixes. Isn't that the reality? That's the real life. Let's roll ten dice. And you want to bank your life on, they all got to run up sixes. Who's going to do that? And yet that's what we're doing. That is what we're doing, isn't it? Your life is not really under your control. This is not to say there's no control. There's some control. And the things you can control, there, you should be responsible for them. But you should understand the, the, the whole... Ask, even if we're not talking about God, there's a, whole, there's a lot of dice there. And your script, there's so many ways for your script to get derailed. Now let's go to the passage. All right? I'm just setting up this passage for you. What does the Bible have to say? And I want to share these two passages for you because I think this, these are the words to freedom here. I mean, it says something just astonishing in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. <laughs> do not. I mean, that's a strange thing. Because if you do, we, we think we very much underestimate all the different ways. And there's nobody who's smart enough to anticipate all the different ways to make your script work out. There's nobody. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Let me ask you this. Do you acknowledge the Lord in all your ways? In all your ways. Most of us will say, okay, when it comes to marriage, I will I'll let Jesus have some two cents. Right? My morality, especially for those of you in the church, or at least you'll definitely let the Lord, you'll acknowledge the Lord when it comes to morality. But um, there, we don't, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your career, when it comes to how you raise your children, what are the priorities on how you raise your children? I know you're supposed to. Let me ask you, how about just another one? What about economics? Just major financial decisions. Do you acknowledge the Lord in major financial decisions? I'll just throw one out that in our culture. We live in a very expensive county. The housing in this county is very, I mean, it's exorbitantly expensive. It's among the highest, quite literally, in the world. And yet, everybody who lives here, almost everybody who lives here wants to buy a house. They intend to buy a house. Why? Because it's in the script. It's in the script. How can you have a good life if you don't buy a house? And yet, and so, the way we, the way we chase career, the way we chase uh, School, the, uh, how much money you have to make, it's all shaped by that mortgage. But do you realize if you get a mortgage in this area, it could darn near shape and control everything. You become an enslavement to this piece of debt, a tremendous piece of debt. But because it's in the script, because it's in the script, it's unquestionable. Your wisdom is telling you you've got to do it. Do you acknowledge the Lord? You just question. I'm not telling you not to buy a house. I am not telling you not to buy us. Hear me here, right? But will the Lord have some say in this? Just think about that, right? And at the, at the toward the uh, latter portion, what does it say? 
Verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And listen to this promise. Verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Isn't that interesting? If you trust in Him and you are not wise in your own eyes and acknowledge Him in all your ways, what it says is it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's a strange, it's a remarkable promise. Let's look at Matthew 11. This is really one of my favorite passages. I, I, actually, I don't think I've ever preached on this before. Certainly not at this church, and I can't ever remember once in my whole life having preached on this, but this is really one of my favorite passages. And as I'm sharing this message with you, it's, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm, I'm preaching to me. This is, this is me, <laughs> right? This is me. I'm very much interested in controlling my life, uh, doing everything I can to make the script work out and try to anticipate all the ways that the script could fail. But listen... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? This is what Jesus says. Come to me, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says this strange thing. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. When was the last time you, you met a person and they said, Hey, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. <laughs> you know, I go up to Doke and Doke goes, Hey, Susa, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I look at him like, What the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, Doke, are you drinking? Right? And uh, that's probably what I would say. But when Jesus says it, nobody even bats an eyelash. Not even, not even non-Christians. Just how remarkable is the person of Jesus that he could say this and you don't, even, you don't even blink. But that's what he says to you. And he says, I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now here's what the picture. You know, as, as moderns, especially those who live in urban, in, in a city, we, we may not understand what he's saying. Do you understand what he's saying here? The picture is something like this. What is a yoke? A yoke is not the yellow part of the egg. <laughs> right, that's, not, that's Y-O-L-K. Okay, guys? <laughs> a yoke, this is Y-O-K-E. A yoke, what Jesus is talking about, in first century times, what they would do, a yoke, they would take an ox and they would pair him with another ox. They would take a young ox and pair them with an older, more experienced, wiser ox. And they would place this harness on both of them and they would walk together. That's called the yoke. Right? The yoke is a harness that you place to make sure the animal goes where he's supposed to go. And the young one would, of course, you know, buck and you know, go the wrong places and wander off. And you would yoke him to the wiser, older, more experienced ox, and the young one would learn. Right? The young one would learn. And notice what it says. It says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Because some of these are kind of dumb. Some of the ox are dumb. You know, you probably, you know, you have to jerk. And the, 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 the older one has to be very firm and yet also gentle and know where to go. And the two would walk forward and there would be, and they would, 
play out their script. (laughs) They would go where they're supposed to go. And this is what Jesus is telling you here. Are you tired? You think you're in control? Because you know what the yoke is? A yoke is actually... The yoke is actually a harness to shape you, to control you. It's actually a kind of plan. Do you realize that? The yoke is a means of controlling the animal. It's actually, that's what it is. And in our culture, we think control is nobody else tells me what to do and I get to live out my own life. But do you realize that's, that's what we think freedom is? But if that was the case, you would still have a yoke upon you. You know whose yoke would be? Yours. <laughs> be your yoke. And your yoke would be shaped by some other master telling you the script has to be like this, 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 and this. And do you believe that Jesus is gentle and lonely in heart? Do you? I do. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you ever heard Jesus say to you, you stink, you failed, you're a loser, Your life is going to stink and crash and burn because you aren't good enough. When was the last time you heard? And yet, when was the last time you heard that from you? Last week, Joe gave us a really fine message on accusation. And yet, when you have the yoke upon you, you hear that voice a lot, don't you? I do. That voice comes up every now and then. And that's not Jesus' voice. If Jesus' yoke isn't on you, your yoke will be upon you. And your yoke will be very serious about, oh, I've got to make sure every little portion of the script works out. And your yoke is a very hard-driving taskmaster, is it not? It is. And yet Jesus says to you, pick my yoke upon you and walk with me. I know sometimes you want to go this direction and you're not going to be happy when I pull you this way. And sometimes you're going to want to lie down and I'm going to pick you up. Walk with me. You know, when, um, when I was in graduate school, I had this uh, New Testament professor. <clears throat> this professor, um, he was middle-aged, he was tall, he was black, he was bald, but he had this kind of, he was well-built. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's strange, I don't really remember almost anything that he taught me in class, but I remember this one message, and I remember him, and I admired him. There was a certain kind of godliness to him. And I remember one message that he gave, and, it was, and he talked about when he was a young man, when he was a young man, he took martial arts. <laughs> he took martial arts. And I remember, I still remember this particularly because he started talking about his Taekwondo master. He goes, Taekwondo, because you know how Americans, they call it Taekwondo. <laughs> right? uh, and he had this Korean guy who was skinny. He still remember he was skinny and he was tough. And he goes, literally, I would go and have these training sessions with him and he would get into, he would get in there and goes, let's spar with me. And basically, his master would beat the heck out of him, right? He would kick him around and beat him. And, and yet, every week, he would go back. And over the years, even though he was, at times, scared of his master, he would keep going back. And over the years, he just started to love him. And he started to learn why his master did. It took time. At the beginning, he was just like, I'm scared. I don't want to get in there with you because you're going to kick me. He's <laughs> like, get in here. And he would do it. He'd get in there and do it, and he would learn things from him. And he, he goes, to this day, he has deep gratitude. And it shaped him to have a certain wisdom and courage and a certain manhood. 
And he talked about this. And as he was telling me this thing, I remember listening. To, I, was, I was very young when I heard him talk. I was like 23 or 24. It took me back to when I was a kid. Did you guys ever watch these movies? I mean, some of you guys are kind of young. And maybe like when I was a kid, I was into these kung fu movies. And you guys watch uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 or Volume 2. My favorite part of Kill Bill is when is when the, um, the Uma Thurman character has to go up to the hill and get taught by that old kung fu guy. He's got this, and he's always like flicking his beard. And like, ah, he's so mean, right? He won't even let her like, you know, he won't even let her like pick food with her hand because she's mashed her hand. He's doing all these things to her. And, you know, that was like an homage to all these kung fu movies I grew up with. And, and these movies would have this, uh, have this basic plot line where there'd be a young guy and he's kind of, aimless and a loser and have no shape to his life. And he would come and meet a master. Sometimes the master's a drunk. And sometimes the master has, um, has uh, you know, is sitting on top of a hill and has, and, uh, has these weird techniques and he's going to teach him crane technique or frog technique or something, right? And, and often they kick this guy around. <laughs> the master kicks this guy around and yet he keeps going to him keeps going to him, and at the end, he becomes somebody, and his life gets filled out. And do you realize what's going on here? That somewhere in your life, is a, there's a very fundamental issue. Why would my professor or the young guy in the movie keep going back to the master? Because at, at heart, there's this fundamental question of trust. That's really what it is. Deep down, you're going to this master... Because this master, you believe, cares for you and is going to impart real wisdom and real shape into who you are. Even when they hurt you, you're like, there is a trust. This is where my life will be filled. And where my life, even though I don't even know, like they don't even have the script all worked up, but they'll go. They'll go. And you know, for most of us, you know, we need a master. In our culture, we believe that if nobody else tells us what to do, then we're free. But this very passage, what Jesus is telling you is real freedom, real rest, is actually when you are master. It's really strange. When you have the right master. Real freedom is when you're not your own master, but you have the right master. And, that's, and it's, it's, it's interesting, all these Asian Kung Fu movies and even Kill, they understand this. You have to have a master. Right? You have to have someone shaping you. And yet Jesus, Jesus won't kick you. Well, sometimes he feels like he is, isn't he? You know, this passage, it says here at the end of this passage, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that how you feel? Sometimes... When you're a Christian, you're like, that's not how it's like. I've been, I've been reading this passage for many years, even since I was a teenager. And I've been thinking about that verse a lot. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes that's not how I feel at all. God, your burden is hard. <laughs> your yoke is not easy. It is, it is painful and difficult. And how come when I follow you, you... you you turn us into this direction and then there's suffering or there's cost or it's just downright scary. I want to go down this path. It's nice and easy and it's going to be successful. And you turn off this way and you're like, ah! <laughs> if we go down this path, we're going to go off a cliff. <laughs> and it's just, 
frightening. It is not easy, Jesus, is it? And yet here's what he's saying. Look, I don't, I can't tell you something here now that's a secret. I don't, I can't, I can't impart to you a secret. But in this thing, there is a secret. Right? Because what is the difference between when the, when, the, when the ox will learn and really find his place and his destiny is when that ox calms down in his person and allows the older master ox and trusts. Somewhere in this thing, I, there's no secret that I can impart to you. So there's no sauce. But deep down is this question of trust. Will you lay your hearts to rest and let the kind and gentle ox, a master far nicer than a kung fu guy who will kick you around, will he, will you trust him? And at the end of the day, what the Bible doesn't give you is there's no guarantee that he won't be, it won't be hard. What the Bible gives you is this. It gives you the gospel. And here's how it looks. Jesus, who comes down, and he looked upon every burden, all your scheming and all your righteousness and all your plans and all the ways in which you're, you're, you're yelling at yourself, and he took that on himself so that all your most heavy burden and yoke he placed on himself and he could place his light yoke on you. Because what is he ultimately about? To take you into the heavenliness of himself. And out of the resurrection comes forward springs of living water which comes into you. That's what he's trying to take you to. The gospel tells you that all your hells are on him so that all his heavens can come into you. So that if you will walk with him, don't you think he's trying to take you into his heavens? Isn't that what he's interested in? Don't you think this master has really good, truly good plans for you? And will you not trust him? So stop bucking. (laughs) Stop controlling. Okay, of course, you've got to have a plan, but hold that plan with a, a certain looseness and let this wise ox, this gentle ox, pull you. Right? Even in places sometimes you don't want to go, and trust him, please. If he, will not, if he will place all your hells on him, will he not, does he not, what heavens will he pour out into you? Even if you walk sometimes through a hard road, Please trust him and let the control go. Let's pray. Lord, so many plans and we have a society full of people. My plans, my plans. My plans for me, my plans for my wife, my plans for my kids. My plans for next week, it all has to work out just right. And yet, Lord, in this fallen world, it's fallen. We need you. We need your yoke. We need you to be the master. And we need our hearts to be still and quiet and glad to receive where you will take us, Lord. I pray you would teach us how to be still 
that we would learn how to talk to each other and gain wisdom and have a certain balance. Not being control freaks that feel like we have to have everything worked out or nor being just lazy or spontaneous, think, oh, spontaneous. It's just going to go with the flow, Lord. But something else, your plans and your ways and your yoke, Lord. And pray, Lord, loom large in our lives and our wisdom and our yoke would be cast off to take the lightness and the goodness of your yoke and your wisdom into our lives. Bless us with this kind of freedom, this jewel in our hearts. May we have it and cherish it as we gaze upon you in Jesus' name.